we're rolling. We're back in the garage. Another Garage Talk podcast. We have the heater on. It's post-Christmas. There was a ton of boxes piled up in here. There's still totes piled up in here. We basically just made enough room to put the table and the equipment so we could get rolling. My guest is Brendan Cork, and uh, he's in the law enforcement community. Had a chance to uh, experience a lot of different things over the years, which uh, we'll touch on a few things a little bit later on. But first of all, welcome into the garage. I'm happy to be here. I'm just going to get you dialed in here as we get started on the levels to make sure we're all set because, like a true professional, I did not check the levels before we started, but that's okay. We'll just adjust them on the fly. Not the first time you've been in the garage, but the first time definitely for the Garage Talk podcast. Well, no, I take that back. It's not the first time for the podcast. Right. We sat down to record at one point. My computer took a giant dump, and uh, it's taken us a few months to get back in here. So uh, thanks for making time to come over. Yeah, no problem. We compromised. We went to the Ducks game instead. Yeah, we we were trying to, to sneak that in before the duck game. It just didn't work out for us. It didn't work out in our favor. No, but the game did. We were good. Yeah, it did. <laughs> and uh, actually, great season. Uh, I know that uh, it's going to be interesting next week to uh, watch the Ducks take on Wisconsin. Yeah, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings about it. I think if the uh, team that played in the Pac-12 championship shows up, it'd be sure thing. But if the team that played against Air- not Arizona, Arizona State shows up, be a long day yeah i didn't have a chance to watch that arizona state game but i'm kind of glad i didn't because it was not pretty all right let's get started from the beginning kind of what i like to do is start by uh going back to where people grew up and i think everyone has an interesting story to tell and you and i've kind of talked uh, off the record a bit about what it was like to grow up in klamath falls uh yeah it was uh it was cold first of all there's it's changed a lot i've been back my actually my family still lives there my dad and stepmom and my sister's uh living over there she's actually getting married in june um but yeah good old klamath you definitely have to make your own party or your own time or whatever you're going to do because there's not a lot to do over there other than cattle work and yeah that's pretty much it hey maybe yeah, hey well my grandfather owned a scrap metal yard so i got to work the scrap metal yard a little bit so it wasn't bad you got to find some interesting things out there I was talking to a guy at work who his dad was in the trust business over there. Uh, and he's always told some great stories about the trust yard and learning oh, yeah. different things out there and yeah. learning how to work and get stuff done. And Oh yeah. I think, uh, I think a big part of growing up in Klamath being, see, I wanted to buy a car, my first truck. I wanted to buy my own truck when I was 16. So I rode my bike a handful of miles to a farm and worked goats and bees and mowed grass. And then, went into my grandfather's steel yard and worked in there. So like my worth work ethic of like just getting stuff done was set pretty young age, which is pretty rare to find nowadays. Oh, very hard to find. Yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have been in here have talked about that, whether it's a business owner trying to find employees or whatever, just having that work ethic. But I think a lot of it, when you're in a small town, a lot of it is just something you're used to doing because it's kind of all hands on deck. Like you talked about, you've got the guy down the street needs a little help. So you're, like you said, you're helping out with bees. What are you even doing when you're helping out with the bees? I, I, my job was to first off, not get stung because it was just, just basically tending to the hives that were around there, like make sure the weeds were down so that they could get in and out and get the honey and whatever it is they were going to do. I didn't deal with them a whole lot cause I didn't like it because it's a high full of bees. So I wasn't, I wasn't too much into it, but I just, I would knock down the like brush around and make sure the fence is up around it. So the deer and like the cattle wouldn't get in there and knock them over and, or out in that area, there was uh, some like cougars and stuff, so they're worried about him getting there stealing all the honey. So, I would have never thought that a cougar would be one of the ones that was trying to steal the honey, but 
I guess that's a thing. Huh? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, the sweetness of it. I mean, bears, all that stuff out there. Well, where it was at, it was kind of marshy, so it wasn't too bad. But, I mean, they had your typical critters out there that would get into everything. And the cattle would knock it over because cattle are just big and dumb, and they don't really care. Yeah, they like to tear up fences whenever possible, it seems like. Yes, very much. So, where'd you go to high school? I actually went to Mazama High School. Okay. Big, bad Mazama. And there's a couple of high schools over there in Klamath Falls for people listening. You have KU, you have Henley, yeah, uh, and then some of the smaller high schools around there, right? Yeah, you got uh, like Bonanza's close by, Cascade, not Cascade Christian. Uh, Lost River. Lost River. Yep. Lost River's another one. You got Chilliquins out there, not too far away. Yeah. We played a lot of those schools in high school because Chilliquin, Bonanza, Lost River, Gilcrest, they were all in the yeah. same size that we were. So we'd have to go over there and play non-conference games and some playoff games over there. Yeah, we always played uh, – well, not we. When I was a freshman, we put together a like JV squad and we went out and played the Bonanza um, varsity football team our freshman year because we were such a bigger school and we went out and played them, which was funny because I have buddies that went to school there. And I don't get. I didn't get to play him the rest of the time, so we got to play him one year, one one game, our freshman season. Because you guys were the bigger school. Yeah, yeah, we were much bigger. Very cool. So, what was it like going through high school there and just being in that area? Uh, you know, it's it, it was, you know, Mazama was kind of the middle ground of everything. Like, not to say anything bad about KU, but KU was was really like the the amount of people that went in there, there's good chunk cause it was a city school, but you either had really top end people or really low income people in there. So it was really different. Like Mazama was kind of middle ground. And then Henley of course was just all the farmers, kids and stuff. Cause they were way out in the County, but yeah. And that's kind of like what lost river was too. It seems yeah. like anytime we played them in sports, they had these big old hosses. Oh yeah. And whether they were super tall or big and wide, it was like, man, they just had the big tough kids. Well, all they do is work potatoes and, freaking sugar beets and they don't know anything different they, just, they don't work out they just lift potato bags all day that's it yeah so as you got out of high school over in mazama is that when you went into the military was right out of school or was there a break in between there no i was actually set to go into the air force and was all signed up and to go and kind of step back and thought about like my options because my family's been in every branch of the military so I was like, oh, okay, everybody's done, you know, Air Force, Army. My mom was in the Army. My dad's uh, brothers were in the Army. My mom's brother was in the Army. I had an uncle in the Marine Corps. I had an aunt in the Air Force. My sister's in the Army now. And I was totally, like, set to go. I was going to be a crew chief on a C-130, uh, which would have been a really cool job. And then for some crazy reason one day I was like, I'm going to go in the Navy because that sounds like a great idea. Like, I'll, do, I'll just do that. So I went back to the recruiter and joined the Navy and then lo and behold, when I joined the Navy, I ended up working with the Army the whole time. So, How did that come about? Uh, you know, it's it's just kind of the way they do it now. Because I've talked to a couple other guys that were uh, actually Christmas Day when I was at our buddy's house. Uh, his girlfriend's uh, boyfriend was in the Air Force, and he worked with the Army the entire time he was in there, too. It's just... It's, it's no, when you go overseas, it's, it's basically everybody like, Hey, we need a body here and here's what you need to do. And you just do it. And that's basically what happened. And it was, I think the, the last time I was, so I've been to Afghanistan twice and Iraq once. And when I was in Afghanistan, can't really get into dynamics of, but we worked closely with, uh, the army. And then when I went into Iraq, the unit I was in at that time, they were just like, Hey, you've already been over country twice. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, Hey, you're going to go work with these guys. And I, got totally sent off and ended up working with the army again even though you're in the navy and you think you're gonna be on a boat 
I, I spent a little time on the boat, aircraft carrier with the uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower on the flight deck, which was pretty cool job. Not going to lie. There's nothing like watching an F-18 take off at 3 o'clock in the morning with you know, a 12, 15-foot afterburner going just balls to the walls and take off. And then when it goes in the sky, it just disappears. And it was cool. I got to load the bombs on the plane, and they would go. And they'd come back, and they'd be empty. You're like, all right, so we did our job today and load it back up and wait for the next one. What goes into doing something like that? It, you know, there's a lot of, I'll tell you what, the flight deck is a crazy place. Like there's, you got to listen to the air boss. And if you mess up, he'll, he'll literally yell at you. He'll call your number on the back of your, they call it cranials. He'd yell at your number and be like, yeah, I'm talking to you. in like the corral, which is like a certain area the, where they would uh, park the jets and stuff like that. And it, it was, it was basically organized chaos. I mean, you got planes landing, planes taking off. You've got helicopters coming in. You've got prop planes coming in. I mean, you you just got to listen and pay attention. That's why before you go overseas, especially on an aircraft carrier, you do a bunch of workups prior to that. Like you'll go out for a month and work on an aircraft carrier. So you get used to that life. Then you'll come back home Then you'll be home for a month and you'll go back out and do it again. And then you'll go for two months and then you'll come back <clears throat> and then you would go back out on your deployment. And I mean, it's good. The workups are good and they totally get you set and ready, but then you get over into the Gulf where it's, scorching hot and you lose a tremendous amount of weight and the um like the speed of it is just 10 times faster because your ground troops are dependent upon that aircraft carrier and air support so it's it's very very quick and very it can be dangerous i mean it's not as dangerous as you think but most people by that time have been on the boat for about a year and have some experience and i mean i felt bad for the new guys that would come in like mid-deployment and you'd see him running around. He had little uh, blue tees on the back of the helmet, meaning they were in training. And they'd be running around, hanging on to somebody, making sure that they didn't end up in the wrong place or anything like that. There's a red and white line where the landing area is at, where the resting gear is at, the big wires, right? They called it the, the uh, spaghetti stripe because if you cross the, the spaghetti stripe when a plane landed and that cord came back, you, you get the idea. Oh. So, yeah. So, you had to watch that area. And, I mean, you're running around in the dark. There's jets turning. There's... Some jets would turn and you could duck underneath the, like the jet exhaust coming out of it. And then there's some other planes, like you couldn't duck underneath of it because the way the engine was pointed, because if you did, it would just blow you into the ground and you'd bounce across the metal flight deck and somebody would stop you and you'd have to be all bleeding and just go back to work. And when you're over there, it's a busy time to be over there. It's not like you're just riding around on an aircraft carrier. You're over there for deployment and there's a lot going on. Yeah, we would work, so working ordinance like I did, we would work anywhere from 15 to eight hour, 18 hours a day, go get a few hours sleep, get up and do it again. You just, I mean, I think when I went over, I was, my last deployment was in 2006. So by the time I'd left, which was in September, I think I was like 210 pounds. And by the time I got back, I was like 184 pounds. Just, just running, just, just from Yeah, just sweat and just go, 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 carrying chains, lifting bombs, and then halfway through that they shipped us into iraq so i went into iraq and i mean it's hot in iraq i'll tell you what you go to afghanistan i was in southern afghanistan to start super super hot during the daytime at night super hot then they sent me up to northern afghanistan and up there it was super hot during the daytime and would almost snow at night it was such a polar opposite of one one another and then in iraq it was just hot period it was hot sandstorms and then it would rain and everything would just get nasty and then it'd be hot again so so when you went into the Navy, did you ever think that you'd end up being somewhere like that? No, not. I mean, I, 
Because my idea of the Navy is, yeah, you're probably going to be on a boat or maybe working yeah. with aircraft in some way, but not necessarily going to be in the desert or in Afghanistan. Yeah, it just I think it just depends. I mean, there's a lot of, they call them rates, which is basically your job. And there's some rates that do it like the, the corpsmen in the Navy are usually, they're called FMF, which is like a fleet marine force. And they're usually the medics for uh, marine units. So if you go into that field, I mean, obviously, if especially if you're a hospital corpsman, you're either going to end up on a ship or you're going to end up in a country working a hospital or Germany or somewhere like that. But uh, honestly, when I went in the Navy, I was like, yeah, I'll be on an aircraft carrier. That'll be cool because that was the job I chose and I thought it'd be fun. And, you know, it was and it was awesome. And somehow I got my first duty station was actually in Brunswick, Maine. That base isn't even open anymore. But I tell you what, it's cold here in Oregon, northeast Brunswick, Maine in December, January. February, it's way, it's like we had highs that were like minus seven during the day. It was, it was brutal. How long were you stationed there? Uh, I was there for almost three years. It was, and it was a very long, cold three years. I mean, even when it was hot, we went to uh, Portland, Maine, which is kind of the, it, I don't even think that's the capital, but it's like a bigger city in Maine on the 4th of July. And I remember going to the beach and I'm like, oh, it's 4th of July. We can go to the beach. It's awesome. It's super nice out. You go out and touch that water, it is not super nice. I mean, there was chunks of ice, probably six by six, just floating around. And there's people out there playing in the water like it's no big deal. And I mean, Oregon coast is cold, but that was that was brutal. Yeah, that's a whole new level when you have ice floating around. Yeah, in July. Uh, and uh, yeah, I know I jumped in the ocean here. And when was that? It was in the off season. It was definitely not a good idea, but there wasn't ice chunks floating around. No, yeah. I mean, the, I've been in the ocean here with my kids. I mean, they love it. And our littlest one, he's fearless. We So we go out there and... It's doable. I mean, you're cold, but it's not. I mean, I tell you what. Even in July, I was like, oh, it won't be that bad. No, it was brutal. Like I got my, I got the guy about ankle deep, and I was like, nope, not happening. I'm done. I turned and went back to the beach, and even then, it's not super warm up there. I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty north. So, when you committed to going into the military, how long did you think you'd be in? Did you have a set time that you wanted to be in, or did you have a plan to go in for a couple of years and then get out? Uh, so initially, I signed up for four years. Uh, but then I extended for uh, two extra years after. Uh, so I made my first deployment and came back, and they're like, do you want to extend? And I was like, yeah, I'll definitely extend. Uh, and kind of the big reason was I had a buddy the third day after I landed in Afghanistan was killed in Iraq from high school. And I found out about that, and I'm not going to lie, it kind of irritated me. So I was like, yeah, I'll definitely go back. So I went back, and then I put in for another year uh, after that and transferred actually to Woodby Island, Washington, which was, again, not a great decision because it doesn't rain at all up in Washington, especially in Woodby Island. It when rained. doesn't it? <laughs> right. That was the other thing. It rained all the time up there. But that one sent me you know, on an aircraft carrier, which was my initial, like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. So I had that opportunity, and I did it. And, I mean, I was, I was only 23 and a half at that time. So I was like, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll just go for it. And I went over and did it again and ended up in, in Iraq that time. And when I came back, actually, my dad, he was like, hey, so your time's done, right? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I think I'm going to go back. And even my dad was like, wait a minute, time out, man. He's like, you've gone three times. You've come back. You don't have any extra holes in you. Like, is that something you really want to do? You've got a son you got to take care of? And I was like, all right. I, well, I guess I didn't think about that. So I actually got out of the military at that time. And I didn't have a plan at all what I was going to do. I was like, I just got to do something. I got to find a job. And so, and then I just kind of landed in my next one. And that's the job you're in now? Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of applied. I was like, hey, I guess 
I guess I can go into law enforcement. That sounds fun. And I applied, and here I am 12 years later. Still got a job. Isn't that something, though, where you think you're going to go back and you have that conversation and maybe think twice about it? And I know you're a pretty patriotic guy. Oh, yeah. And so it's got to be conflicting. Or you know, like a, I would think for me it would be like an internal struggle of, yeah, I want to go over there and do everything I can to help out. But also, like your dad said, three times – that's a lot of trips. Oh, yeah. And uh, a lot of guys that didn't make it back. Yeah, and, no. And I, I think I, I struggled with that for probably eight or nine years of the, man, should I go back? Should I stay? Like, there was times in the job I have now, they were like, they were talking about doing cutbacks. And I was like, uh, my wife at the time was like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I go, if they, if they do it, I was like, I'm just going to go back in the military. Like, that, that was my mindset for probably eight or nine years. And... I've, I've gotten over it now, but yeah, the first probably eight years after being out, I, and I mean, not completely over it. I mean, if they called me up and said, Hey, let's go tomorrow. I would totally back my stuff and be gone. Yeah. That's something else. Good on you because there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't even think about it. Wouldn't even consider doing it. And you know, it takes a special type of person to be able to go do those things that you were doing. Yeah. Well, like you said, you got to believe in what's around you. I mean, my, my grandparents came here when they're young from Ireland and they saw the opportunity. And I mean, they're both passed away, but I mean, they'd made a great life. They had six boys and they're all thriving. And a couple of them went in the military and one of them was a firefighter and they both have, they all have jobs and they're well off. So I was like, all right, kind of, kind of led down that path. And then my mom being in it and then seeing my uncles in it. And the uh, first Gulf war, two of my uncles went over. And I remember, I remember going to the airport and seeing them off and like when they came back like you do have a sense of pride and i was like hey you know that's my family and they went over there and i was like you know what that's what i'm gonna do and i i pretty much had the mindset when i was about 12 i was like i'm gonna go in the military and i actually wanted to go in the navy initially i wanted to fly f-14s the tomcats but then i couldn't see from the back of the classroom to the chalkboard i was blind as a bat and they were like yeah you, you can't fly planes like that like the whole depth perception and landing on the aircraft carrier apparently that's a big deal so, cause you get one shot and if you mess that up, you're kind of done. So I had surgery and they were like, yeah, you can't do it with the surgery. So I still went in anyways. Yeah. Which has got to be a bummer. I know my grandpa was talking about wanting to fly helicopters and fly different planes when he was in here a few weeks ago and he has a vision issue, you know, has to wear glasses all the time and, but you never know where it's going to lead you. And obviously it sent you in a different direction and ended up, you know, you get out and Apparently me waving around while I'm talking, just cued the light to come back on with my garage door opener. But um, then you end up going down a completely different path and obviously it leads you where you're supposed to be. And Oh, yeah. No, it doing. definitely, uh, you know, I think that like eight months off from high school to joining the military was good. I I was working, but I mean, you're not making much money and you're barely making. I was living with a couple of buddies in an apartment and we were living like paycheck to paycheck. And you're like, I was totally sat back when I was like this this sucks, man. Like I can't live like this. I got to do something. I was like, I'm just going to go with my initial instinct. And I went in, went down to the recruiting station. I was like, Hey, I want to go in the military. What do you want to do? I'm like, I don't really care. Like, let's do something. And I went up and picked a job in the air force, came back, changed my mind, went back up with the Navy, came back. And I literally walked into my parents' bedroom. I think it was two weeks before boot camp. threw it, threw it on the, threw the pamphlets on the table. Like, here's what I'm doing. Here's where I'm leaving. And here's what I'm, here's what's going on. My mom was, she was a little kind of taken from it because this was after September 11th. I was already enlisted prior to September 11th, but you know, then that happened. And I mean, everybody knows where they were on that day. Like I remember I was laying in bed, getting ready. 
to actually get up and my sister came running in. She's like, Hey, the twin towers, you know, they're gone. And I was like, what are you talking about? No way. And I went in there and it just happened to be when the second plane hit and the second tower started falling. And I remember my stepmom looked at me and she was like, you know, you're going in the military. I was like, yeah, no, absolutely. And she was like, no, like you're going to go to war. And I was like, yeah, after that, absolutely. Let's do this. And she took it a little harder. My dad came home from work and he was, he was definitely unhappy with what happened. And he was like, you're going to go over there. And he's like, you're going to wreck shop. I was like, yep, let's do it. And he was totally on board. I mean, that's just the pure blooded Irishman. And he's like, all right, here you go. You want to fight? Let's do it. So, so you were already enlisted and just waiting your turn. Yep. When that happened. Yep. Just what look. weird timing. Yeah, it was. It was I'm not going to lie. I mean, 19 years old, you see that and you're like, holy crap. Like, this is real. Like they just attacked us and it's like, there's going to be 19 year old kids over there. They're, you know, fighting and dying, but somebody's got to go over and do it. So when what you talked about with your, you said your grandparents that came over from Ireland Ireland, yep, and how they came to America and just the story of being able to come to this country and then dig in here and make a way for themselves is really cool. I know we've talked about it a few times on a few different outings where we've had a chance to just sit down and chat about it. But you talked about uh, one of your uncles, a firefighter and uh, just a lot of people in your family who have made a a great living for themselves here in America. And it's pretty cool to think about and also know that those are people who ended up in our military over there fighting for this country and the stuff that we all believe in. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, uh, it was, it was, it's good to do. And I mean, our family has a, like I was saying, a pretty long history being in the, I mean, my, like I say, my sister is actually still in the military. She's in Arlington, Virginia. She works in Washington, DC, and she's been in the army. She's, I think she's a Sergeant now. So she's still in and still doing, we actually went back there. I took, uh, my oldest son back there in August. He was, he's 14 now and tried to, cause he's, he's starting to understand like he's, you know, in school, they're starting to get into like us government and us history and I was like, all right, it's a good time for him to see, you know, how cool it is. And I'd never been there, which was crazy to me after being in the military. I had always wanted to go. So he and I flew back and we went to, you know, we went down near Congress. We saw the, you know, the Declaration of Independence. We went to the Law Enforcement Memorial, like the whole thing. Uh, one of the big things that I took him into was the Holocaust Museum. And if you've never been in there and you go to Washington, D.C., it is an absolute must. It is it's horrible and it's heartbreaking, but it was such a big part of the, you know, the world history that took place. And I'll never forget like walking through there with Nevin, you know, he's 14 and like the look on his face and he was reading every single thing. And what really got him is we walked into this one section, they had like little um, monitors on each side and you walk through after seeing those monitors, you walk in and there's thousands of like shoes on Mm -hmm. each side. And you're like looking at it and I'm like, what is this? And you start reading the thing and they were actual shoes that the Holocaust survivors were wearing prior to walking into the gas chamber. And he like read that and he was like, so these are the shoes they were wearing. I was like, yeah, those shoes right there. And he was it like, you could see the switch turn on. And like he totally was like, wow, that's horrible. And he, I was like, well, what do you think about it? What is it? How does it make you feel? And he was like 14 years old. It was pretty real. He was like, it honestly, dad, it just kind of pisses me off. And I was like, well, that's good. Son, it, son, it should because this is what happens when there's dictatorship and he totally like got it and was into it the rest of the time. He took, I mean, tons of photos. We went to Arlington national cemetery and saw the changing of the guard and all that stuff and went to the white house and the Washington monument and the Lincoln monument, Jefferson, all of it. And he just, he ate it up and he loved it. It's good for kids to see. My grandma made a point to take all of her grandkids 
And the two oldest girls went first, and then the three of us boys kind of fell in the middle age-wise, and then the younger girls went after that. But I was a senior when I got to go, and then my two younger cousins were with me, and we goofed off and did a lot of fun things while we were there. But also, it was an educational trip. Mm-hmm. We had to keep track of our expenses, our budget. She made us write everything down. We went to all the Smithsonian uh, museums. We went to all these different places, and it was so awesome. And so when you started talking about that, I knew exactly what you were talking about because I've been there before. Yep. And it's just too bad that – and I know some of the high schools, I think Cascade Christian, they make a point to make sure their kids go back to Washington, D.C., but it's something everyone should be able to see. It's just unfortunately, right, it costs money. So oh, yeah. not it's, everyone can go, but it's just – it's one of those things that's really important and not enough people have a chance to see it. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. If you've never been there, it's it's an absolute must. I, I mean, I didn't go until I was – 36 years old and I was served in the military and you know the job now and everything and I'm not a really big politics types person and I don't think you have to be to go there just to understand it I mean because when you come out of the subway and you come up and you can see you know you can see the Capitol building and you can see the Jefferson monument and all that I mean it Martin Luther King monument all that it's it is absolutely breathtaking it gives you the chills like it it gives you a sense of pride it doesn't matter what your affiliation is like you should be happy when you go there just to see what they what they have. Yeah, my only regret is there's never enough time. We were there no. for a week and we were just hustling from place to place to place and you still can't even take it all in. There's so much to see. Yeah, no, and my sister lives there so she sees it all the time and so it wasn't a big thing for her but she knew that, you know, Nevin and I, we wanted to see as much as we could and I, I we walked, I bet we walked 10 to 12 miles a day and like you're saying, and it was go, 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 go as fast as you could to get as much as you can because we were there for a week and we still didn't see ever. There's stuff we didn't get to see. We totally wanted to go see, and there's just there's just so much to do. What do you think the like the biggest takeaway was for you going there, or most impactful thing that you saw while you were there? Um, you know, I would honestly say when you when I was there, like it didn't matter what culture you were from what your background was or anything like that. You could see everybody was there taking pictures. Didn't matter your race. Didn't matter anything. Everybody was there, excuse me, and was super excited to be there. Like to see, didn't matter all walks of life come together and all be interested in the same thing. And there was no yelling. There was no griping. There was none of that. Like it was just a good, like relaxing, hey, like this is how America's supposed to be. That's totally how I pictured it. And that, that's what I took away from it the most. I mean, seeing everything was great because, I mean, I understand it. And it went, you know, we've all been through school and understood it. But seeing it and then seeing how the people react, all walks of life, it was, it was really cool. And it totally made you, like, made me go back to thinking. I was like, all right, all this is definitely why I went overseas. Yeah. So. And you realize how easy it is for people to be able to get along, be in the same place and not have any issues. Right, which exactly. Is mind-boggling to me that we can be in the place that we're at currently. Right. With the landscape and the political landscape and what it is, no matter what side you're on. Yeah. Um, there's just so much noise out there, which I've said it almost every podcast episode is one of the reasons I'm doing this because there's, there's people that you think, you know, that you really have no idea yeah. what they're all about. And, uh, there's a lot to be learned from people when you actually just sit down and talk to them, whether it's in a setting like this or on your neighbor's porch or someone on an airplane or maybe someone at the, the monument in Washington, D.C., you know, when they're looking at the Vietnam veteran wall. Yep. You just never know what someone's gone through and, and just try and remember that as you go through the day because there's, there's some people out there who've been through a lot. Oh, yeah. And yeah it, does, it doesn't matter. I mean, 
we'll we'll just put it this way: 2019 has been a long year, definitely a long year. And even going there and coming back, I mean, yeah, everybody has their ups and downs. But it, I mean, somebody you, like you were saying, you just never know what somebody else is going through. I mean, you you're not walking in their shoes, so you don't have any idea. Yeah. You don't know what they're. They I mean they could be smiling, but that doesn't mean anything at that point. Well, we'll come back to that in a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, a situation that you had to respond to, and that was the mass shooting at UCC. Yeah, that was, uh, I'll never forget that day. A couple of reasons. One, it was two days before my anniversary, and I remember remember standing in her office, and my boss came walking out, and the look on her face, I just knew. I was like, all right. I was like, somebody got shot was the first question I asked her. And she was like, yeah, she goes, there's a active shooter at UCC. And I remember my, my partners and I, we were all standing there and I was like, we're going. And she goes, yeah, no, we're absolutely going. So we all jumped in our cars and hauled butt up there and got up there. And it was, it was a lot. It was, it was pretty deep. Like you show up and what you expect to see is utter chaos and when you get there it is way more than utter chaos i mean there were still students coming out we had to check all the students and then we had to clear all the buildings and go into the rooms where the shooting and everything took place and even being overseas i I think it was a little more humbling because when you go overseas you expect that you're like all right you know you're in a war zone this is going to happen but then you walk into you know a college classroom and that's what you see it was uh it it definitely affects you. And I was there for, I was there for two days. I went up, actually my wife had a coworker that was going to Portland and I called her up and I was trying to get a hold of her on the way up and I just couldn't. I was like, Hey, you know, I kept leaving voicemail after voicemail and she's actually had probably two frantic phone calls for me in my career. And that was the first one. It was like, Hey, you know, here's what's going on. And she was like, Oh my gosh. And she was just like, tell me when you get there. And, uh, I'll, I'll just talk to you tonight. And I was like, okay. And then she knew she called up her friend. She's like, you're going to Portland. He's going to need a bag. Like, here's his bag. Just drop it off at the police station and we'll go up there. And it's, uh, on a lighter note of it, it was funny because she bought me like this turquoise shirt and this bright turquoise tie with like black on it. And, you know, news cameras were all over. I mean, it was national news. And she called me and she was like, Hey, I see you. You're on TV. I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, look up. And I looked up and there's a helicopter above us. And I'm like, how do you know it's me? And she started laughing. She's like, cause that bright turquoise shirt that I bought for you, I could see you standing underneath the tree. She's like, yeah, the so-and-so's next to you. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's me. And she's like, all right, just check and make sure you're okay. And then that was it. So she can see that you're okay because you're on national news at the time. Right. Looking down from some helicopter, just because I was wearing a turquoise shirt that you could see from a mile away. So when you responded and knew there was a situation going on at UCC, did you know where it was at at that point? Or did you just know that there's a situation, it's an active situation, and you're trying to get there as quickly as you possibly can because there's different agencies responding from all over the state, it sounds like. Or at least yeah, they came the from state. everywhere. And is it, it was it still happening at that point? Or do so you wh- know? What, what we were told was there's an active shooter at UCC and my boss was like, as far as we know, it's still going. So we were like, okay, we're not too far away. And we were told that, you know, Roseburg PD and the state police and the sheriffs were on scene, but they need help. And I, I mean, so you're, you're running all these thoughts through your head. Like, all right, here's what I think I'm going to do. Here's what I think I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to react. Here's what you do. And then we get there and I'll never forget like coming in, turning into UCC. I know you've been there. You actually went there. So mm-hmm. 
turning in that main road, driving down that main road, it was like cop car, cop car, cop car, cop car. And I mean, it's just a line as far as you, like almost out to the main road. And that was already there. And I got in there and I found a spot and just parked in the grass and jumped out. And it looked like there wasn't a whole lot of like control that was going on, but it was weird after even with all those different agencies and everything going on right there, it, it actually went as smooth as it possibly could. Like you're going out, we had to check all the students coming out. Cause we didn't know who was who we didn't know who was good, who was bad, who was part of it. We, I mean, we had no idea. And, uh, I just remember walking up and there was, it was already taped off the main crime scene area. And they were like, Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what we need to do. And go from there. So and they just assign you a task as soon as you get there. Yeah. The minute you, the minute we pulled up, there was a, I don't, I don't remember who it was. I don't even remember what agency it was. He was just like, I was like, Hey, what do we need to do? He was like, we got to get all these students on buses. We got to get them to the fairgrounds. He goes, and I mean, there was hundreds of students coming out of classrooms. We had them lined up as best we could. I mean, they're all crying. They're all trying to figure out they're, they're scared. And I mean, most police officers, we were scared because we didn't know there's so many unknowns, but you could see it in the students' eyes that they were terrified. They didn't know. So, you know, you have to totally step back and be like, all right, uh, we, we call it like duck on water. Like I have to look calm and everything on the top, but inside, you know, everything's racing and you million things going through your head. And once we got them out of there, we definitely slowed down. And we're able to do our job way more methodical and get it done properly. Yeah. I just know for me, as someone who went there trying to understand something like that, you, you can't even begin to understand, first of all, why something like that would happen. And there's a lot of different reasons and people have their different theories on why stuff like that happens. But when you've been somewhere and I know for me, there's this weird connection to some of these places which i hate because i was at thurston in a i think it was only months before that situation happened with kip kinkle right and so we stopped there with the high school volleyball team and i was with the journalism class we were going to portland and so i was with them and walked right past that cafeteria not months before that and then i went to ucc for school only made it four terms, dropped out. But uh, <laughs> I did go to Harvard on the Hill. So when that happened, your mind just has all these thoughts in it. And I, it took me right back to those places where we sat on the little brick wall yep. and we sat on the grass and you just think, how could something like that possibly happen there? Um, but for you, it's a completely different experience to be in a setting like that where you would never think something like that would happen. And then to have to be there working through that situation, I can't even... And I know you and I have had a chance to talk about it a few few times, but I still can't even, my mind still doesn't quite understand. Yeah, you know, and it. I think it, t- it definitely took a while to process it. I think when I was there, everybody was just in work mode. So you were like, go, 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 work, work, work. Like we have a job to do. We have to get it done right. We have to do it right. Everything has to be done perfect. And we learned a lot from it. And then I want to say I came home. And then, uh, actually October 3rd was my wife's and my anniversary. And she's like, Hey, let's go to dinner. And I remember like, it was finally the time I could like decompress a little bit and everything slowed down. I mean, we didn't sleep much. We were totally working way too many hours, but you had to do it because it had to get done. And I remember sitting at dinner with her and she kind of looked at me, she's like, Hey, are you okay? And I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, that was, that was kind of a lot. And she was like, yeah, let's get out of here. And I just was like, yeah, let's go. Like just being in the public like that, like I'm, I'm not that way and I'm fine now, but initially sitting there. Yeah. It was uh it was a lot to try and cause you were fine. Everything, like I said, everything finally slowed down 
and like reality of what, like you're saying, what really happened and comprehending of, wow, that really just happened like right here in little tiny Roseburg of all places. And so, yeah, it was, uh, like the process was definitely a lot. Well, and you go overseas three times, right? You come back from being overseas, you see everything imaginable that you could see being overseas, I'm assuming. Yeah. And then you have to come home and see something like that. And I think that was it. I mean, overseas, like I was saying earlier, you, you totally prepared going overseas. Like you, you, they, they put you through some classes like, Hey, you know, here's what you're going to see. Here's what you should expect. Here's what's going to be different. I mean, and what they explained to you is great. Then you land in the country or they call it in the theater. You land in theater and you look around and you're like, wow, yeah, they totally told us, but it's totally like, it's way worse than you can think. And that whole process of like just the carnage and how bad it can be and how bad it can be for anybody over there but mainly for the guys that actually leave like the wires and the bases and stuff and then to come back here and think oh yeah you know you're in the united states supposed to be you know super safe which it legitimately is compared to the rest of the world but then that happens and it happens and you have to deal with it it was uh definitely humbling is it a different type of way of dealing with it than it would be overseas or is it i mean because a lot of people talk about ptsd and different ways people experience that whether it's being overseas or seeing something like what happened at ucc or other situations that people could get that from is it a similar type of process afterwards trying to work through it you know i honestly i don't know that one i think you know the whole ptsd thing and like just extreme uh, measures of life that happen with people. I, every person is different because I mean, you think about it, I actually went to a class, uh, uh, a retired army guy, great, great, great book. He wrote a couple books. We went to a seminar and he was talking about it and that concept came up. And cause one of the guys asked, he was like, Hey, you know, what do you think about like PTSD and stuff like that? And he, he, he totally broke it down. He was like, Hey, you can look at it a few ways. One, you can step back and it can totally change your life and it could mess with your head. He's like, or he's like, two, you can look at it and learn from it and, you know, better your life and everything. And I think it just depends on the person. And he said, and what really got me during that um, conference when he said it was, he was like, he goes, think about this. He goes, think about those people that were in the Holocaust and had to deal with that. He goes, a lot of them are perfectly fine, normal people. And it, and he goes, but then there's some of them that are just completely messed up from it. So I think it just varies per person and the type of person you are. And I honestly think how you deal with it, how you process it mentally and whether you talk to somebody or hold it in. I mean, everybody's different. So definitely holding it in isn't going to help talking about it. I know this whole new, I, th- I think the world, the United States for sure is definitely going in a better direction. I mean, you and I both know growing up that, you know, you're supposed to be the man's man, you know, you know, you know, keep it in and deal with it and you'll move forward. And I actually think it takes a bigger person to step up and be like, Hey, I need some help with this. Like it's messing with me. I was talking to my dad and his girlfriend just a couple of days ago, actually. And they brought up this podcast because they had just listened to the episode with Ashley. And, um, my dad said to me, he said, man, I, I, uh, I, I didn't have any idea of some of that stuff. And I said, yeah, a lot of people didn't. And you probably learned some stuff about me in there that you didn't know, you know, and you're probably gonna learn some more because, uh, it's amazing what it can do for people just to sit down and talk about something. Oh, yeah. And you're right. We were kind of taught um, maybe it was to be tough or maybe it was to I, I don't know what it is, which I think there's nothing wrong with some of that stuff. But at the same time, when you sit down and talk about it, I know for me that when I got home and it's crazy that the UCC shooting 
and then Route 91 was a year apart. Right. And for me to me being at Route 91 for a couple of years leading up to the the shooting that did happen and that you and I were there together um like when that happened I know for me when I got home I was a really weird feeling. Oh, yeah. And I think it's a feeling that most people you probably understood because you've seen some stuff before. I didn't see anything, but I know I felt really strange because we, we came home the day before we weren't there. We had friends that were there yep. when the shooting happened, but it was just the strangest feeling of like, I, we were just there and I talked about it immediately. Yep. You know, I talked to my wife about it and I talked to, I talked to you about it. I talked to a couple other people, some people in law enforcement that I know that called me and said, Hey, you should maybe think about talking to someone. I ended up just talking to friends and people mm-hmm. close to me about it instead of keeping it in. But that was a really strange situation in itself. Yeah. I mean, and like totally going back on, I mean, we had a like great time there. I mean, we had an absolute blast and I actually remember like we were talking, like when you and I talked about it after this took place, how crazy it was when we were at the airport the day of the shooting, we literally were booking our hotel for the next year. And we're like, yeah, we're coming back next year. And you were like, I'm going to bring my wife. Like, yeah. like we were totally in and we were already booking the hotel and we were like, yeah, here's what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it. We all went home and it's, you know, it's, it's like you're saying, it's, it was kind of a lot because I remember sitting there watching TV. We got home, we got our kids, kids were in bed. My wife actually went to bed and I was just sitting on the couch watching TV and my phone went off and it was one of our friends that went with us and he was like, this is real, put it on this channel. And I turned it on and it literally had a, I'll never forget it. Showing up said Route 91 mass shooting, and it was the pair of the American flag cowboy boots mm-hmm. sitting next to the curb. And I was like, holy crap. So at this point, I'm sitting there watching it. And, you know, then there's that mass text messages that started, and everybody was part of it that was with our group that was there. And my wife was asleep, and I was like, do I go wake her up? Do I just let her sleep? So I was like, I'll just tell her in the morning. Like, it'll be fine. I'll just let her know in the morning she's sleeping. I mean, we just spent three days in Las Vegas, well, four days. And I was like, we'll just, I'll just tell her in the morning. And, uh, I went to bed and at two 30 in the morning, my boss actually called me and I was like, it rings and it didn't dawn on me why she was calling me. So I, my phone rings and Joanna sits up and she's like, Oh my gosh, you're really going to have to go to work. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. I answer it and my boss is like oh my god I can hear your voice that's all I needed and it didn't that's when it clicked in my head I'm like oh my gosh everybody thinks we're still in Las Vegas they still think we're at I, this I didn't even think about it like I didn't, I didn't either think about it until the next morning yeah and I just was like and then I like looked at my phone and I had missed messages and my wife is like what is it and I was like I was like no boss I go she's actually right next to me I was like we all came back this you know this mid-afternoon and we're fine we went to our son's soccer game that afternoon and everything was fine. And I didn't think like, like you're saying, it just didn't dawn on me to let everybody know, Hey, we're fine. Like we, we we're out of there. And then she picks up her phone and it was like phone call after phone call. Cause we had friends on the East coast that were calling cause they knew we were there. And then her boss actually calls and he's like, Oh my gosh, you guys. Okay. And it, it kind of sank in. I think the hardest thing was like, those of you guys were all like, Oh my gosh, what would we have done? And it's funny just being overseas and doing my profession now. Like I always, when I go into a place, I always think about, well, if something happens, I can go here and here's, I would go there. And I remember telling you guys that like where we were standing near that stage, I was like, yeah, I would have grabbed everybody and shoved you guys in that one, that one little booth that was like all metal and they were serving, serving all the alcohol out of it. I was like, I would just shove you guys in there and be like, Hey, just stay here. We'll be fine. 
And it was just, it was just, it was definitely a lot to see you guys all go through it and process it. And it didn't matter. And being overseas and not like just that, just knowing we're like, I mean, I was, we still look at pictures, like at pictures of Dave standing, you know, doing a selfie at the end of the stage when Eric Church was playing. And in the background, you can see where that guy was shooting. Yeah, I remember standing on the sidewalk waiting for our tickets for over an hour. Yeah. And just staring. And I think I told you guys, just wait till you see where the stage is and you can see the Mandalay Bay right in the background. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the coolest, one of the coolest settings you've ever seen. The sun hits it, it's gold, it's in the backdrop. And then to stand on that sidewalk for an hour and it, I read all the reports and everything, and it was he was there literally why he while he was stacking up magazines. Yeah, we were all just in we there. were standing right there on the sidewalk, and yeah. just that whole thing was just crazy. But I don't know for me, I just got to a point, and lucky for me, I, I feel like I'm one of the fortunate ones, not just because we got the hell out of there, but also because I finally got to a point, and it wasn't a long time; it was probably weeks slash months where I finally got to a point where. I would walk outside to my truck and not look over my shoulder yeah. because it was just the strangest feeling like, Oh my God, I just escaped yeah. one of the largest mass shootings on American soil. I if remember, the, I remember you were talking about that and Dave was talking about that and everybody was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to have it again. And I, and I remember my response to all you guys was like, if they have it again, we're going. Oh, absolutely. I was like, we are absolutely going because people like that, do it to strike fear and make you afraid. And as an American citizen, you shouldn't be afraid. Go mm. do what you're going to do and be proud of what you're going to do. And well, just and I go also feel it. like if something is going to happen and I mean, you can say whatever you want about how I think not you, but anyone listening or whatever, but like if something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's, an only, it's inevitable. Yeah. There's only so many things you can do and I don't want to live my life looking over my shoulder. And maybe that was part of the reason I stopped looking over my shoulder. I still pay attention more than I ever oh, yeah. have. I just don't get as freaked, not even freaked out. It's not the right way to put it. I'm not as skittish maybe mm -hmm. as I was there for a short period of time. And it, it, there's just no reason to live that way. And I feel bad for the people who were there. I know we have friends that were there and they still struggle with it. I hope at some point, I mean, I don't know where they're at in the process, but I hope at some point they can just continue to do things. And I know some of them have been able to get back out and do things, but you just have to, you have to do things because life's going to move along anyway yeah and, and it's going to be gone before we know it you know and it's not a, i you know i think about it that way like you're saying definitely got to live on with your life and do what you're going to do but i mean the whole thing is to cause fear and everything like that and my whole mindset on it is if we let them make us be scared and look over our shoulder and i mean definitely be aware of what's going on around you i mean you, you have to do that anyways but if you're going to allow that one person or these individuals that are doing these to put that much fear into you and not allow you to live your life then like you're saying you're going to miss a lot of good things that are going to happen so you literally i know it's super hard to like move past it and you don't definitely you don't ever move past it you, obviously you keep it a part of you because it's a big part of your life and what happens and it doesn't matter what you're doing whether it be tragic accident in your life or anything but you can learn from it and be like okay from this day forward like i i've been really lucky to be standing here I'm going to start doing this right. And I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start spending more time with my kids, with my family. And like it, you get in that. I think that's where that seminar, like it totally helped me with that. Cause he's like, yeah, you can either look at it this way or this way. And this way, you know, the sitting back and dwelling on it can totally lead down a lot of bad roads. But if you look at it the other way and can learn from it and not forget it, learn from it, then you can totally live a great life and be fine. Cause it, like he's saying, I mean, 
when he said the kid, the people from the Holocaust, I mean, some of them are perfectly fine. They have kids. They're happy as could be. And they're, you know, they live and they tell their family about it. And they went through a heck of a lot worse than what we had to go through. Yeah, but you've had to see a lot being overseas and then the UCC thing. Would you ever have imagined that rewind back to Mazama High School playing football and all the different things you had riding your bike down to take care of the area around the bees? Would you have ever thought that you would see some of those things? No, never in a million years. No way. I mean, I think about now just over the 12 12 years with this and then over the last 18 years. Yeah, there's there. I've definitely stepped back a few times and been like, holy crap, like, never thought I would see that in my life. And then the best part is, I mean, I say the best part, and it's really not the best part, but it seems like there's always something else. I'm like, there's no way that, that like this is going to happen. And then something else happens. You're like, wow, that was worse than the last one. Like, it's just, yeah, no way in a million years going through high school and living in Klamath Falls did I ever think that you would see half the stuff that I saw. And not just seeing stuff like that, but also probably, I would assume, playing a major part in different situations where there was a positive outcome, too, right. in the job that you're in now, yeah, where you've been able to make a difference for people. I'm sure there's probably been a lot of different um, occasions where you were able to make a difference, I would assume. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. You definitely have cases that stick with you. Like there's, I have a handful in my head that I know and have totally stepped back and been like, like I'll never forget that person. There, there's a handful of cases that I will absolutely for the rest of my life never forget because you did make a big change and a big difference in somebody's life. And again, think back 18 years old in high school in Mazama, Klamath Falls, no way. You're like I'm just some kid with pimples who plays football and baseball and deals with cows and goats. Like no way in a million years would I think that. And I know some of the stuff we're talking about maybe a little vague, but that's for good reason because some yeah. of the stuff can't be talked about. Right. And uh, you can you know listen and and draw conclusions yourself, but let's, you mentioned 2019 being quite the year for yourself. Uh, talk a little bit about that and what it's been like for you. Well, let's see. The beginning of the year was fine. It it was good. I mean, we had a good time. We went up to seven feathers for new year. So, you know, it started out great. Uh, it just kind of the end of January, I went to Alabama for six weeks for school, which was great. I mean, it's definitely one of the better decisions I've made in my life and my career. And I wouldn't change it for anything, but six weeks, I was away from my wife and kids, you know, for six weeks straight, didn't see them. could only talk to them because the kids were in school. They were playing sports and she was working. So six weeks there, that happens. I come home. Uh, my wife and I were struggling with stuff and we kind of started to grow apart a little bit at that. Uh, but we were able to come back together and you know work on things and get to going where we were going so everything was going good and you know we had i mean we did have a good summer we've had you know we went camping we did everything i mean one difference this year was we didn't have a music festival which we usually always go to so it was just kind of a different type of year so we actually went to the oregon jamboree my wife and i and a handful of friends a couple of my coworkers were there and had a had a great time like an absolute blast it was such a great time uh we came home on Monday, August 5th. So, you know, eight months of the year, uh, not even eight months. So four and a half, five months of the year, totally fine. Everything was good. We house a uh, Medford Rogues baseball player. We got another one, great kid from Texas, actually went to school in Alabama, still there having school, talked to him all the time. Great kid. Kids loved him, had a great time. Went to the Oregon Jamboree, 
come home August 5th, everything was great. And then, well, August 6th happens and that totally changed my outlook. It was one of those, uh, situations that we were talking about, like you can either take it and learn from it, or you can totally step back and be like, wow, that was really close and go down the dark road or try and take the high road. And I, I want to say I was uh, off work for six weeks because of it. And it definitely made me take the high road on, okay, Hey, you know, my wife, my kids, my friends, my family, like I need to do more. Like I need to be, I feel like I'm a pretty good father, but it definitely made me go, wow. It's like, it can be taken from me that fast. With the situation that you're talking about, can you say what, not what happened, not the details, but can you say, can you just generalize what happened or is that not something that's okay? Because I don't want to, no, we can, I mean, we can generalize it. It was in the newspaper. I mean, it, and my name was in the newspaper. We were just, uh, it was just a, it was a, it was a shooting that happened in August at the police station. And I was definitely involved in it. Very, very, very involved in it and actually still have a scar below my eye from it. So yeah, uh, but I won't get into great detail about it. I mean, everybody can read the newspaper about it. It's not gonna be too hard to find. Um, but I would just say that that day, uh, that was the second frantic phone call I had to make to my wife. And I remember initially right after it happened, one of my buddies that works for the other department comes up and he's like, what do you got to do, man? And I remember stepping back going, I got to call my wife. Like that was the first thought in my head. Like, I don't want her to see it on the news or read it on social media. Like I, I need to get a hold of her now. And I remember handing him my phone and he was like, what's your passcode? And I couldn't even remember my passcode. And I was like, here, just give it to me. And I was able to put my thumb on it to open it. And he called her and she answers thinking it's me. And he's like, Hey, it's so-and-so. Hey, he's okay, but here's what happened. And I could hear her go, well, I need to talk to him. And I was like, and then he kind of looked at me and I was like, it's okay. And he goes, I don't know if you're gonna be able to talk to him. He goes, he, he's kind of all over the place right now, but it, he probably should talk to you. And like when she talked to me, literally I went from super high to like extreme reality set in on how close everything was. And I was like, holy crap. And I remember she was trying to talk to me and I just remember telling her, I don't know what happened, but here's where I'm at. And I just remember saying, oh, I'm on my way. And that was it. I was like, and that, once she said that I was fine, it was just, but I mean, it probably took probably three or four weeks to slow down. I mean, your body, like with your adrenaline and the, you know, dump of like everything, like I was just exhausted. I remember I got home that night, we went and met a buddy, uh, had some lunch and the crazy part about it is we were sitting at the Ram in Medford and the waiter comes up to us and he's like, you know, what can I get everybody to drink? And where everybody's like, Oh, you know, I'll have this and I'll have that. And I'll have, you know, I want this to eat. And the guy, it was very, uh, odd. He just looks at us. He's like, so how's your day going? And I remember we just all kind of looked at each other and kind of smiled and we were like, uh, good. How was yours? And just four hours prior to that, we were in this horror, horrific event and all these people around us are eating dinner or eating lunch. And I'm like looking around going like, they don't have any clue. Like they have no idea. And it was just very, very weird. Like you're saying the whole process to try and figure it out. And I got done with that. And my wife's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I just want to go home, uh, take a shower and go to bed. And I literally went home, went to bed at like six o'clock that night. And I didn't wake up till like eight the next morning. Like I was just done. 
So yeah, it was, it was definitely, it was just odd. Like I was saying, they're sitting in the restaurant, everybody's just going about their day and the waiter, he didn't know. He's just doing his job, being nice. You know, how's your day? We're like, Oh, good. And then we like all kind of looked at each other and we kind of had a laugh about it. Like, wow. Like, because everyone sitting at the table knows you were right inches right away from not being here. Right. Safe to say. Yeah. And nobody else around us knew, not even the waiter. And he's like, Oh, and we all kind of laughed and he kind of gave us a weird look and like walked off and you know, Joanna's like, Holy crap. And I was like, yeah, nobody knows. Like we're the only, the five of us sitting here are the only ones that know. So yeah, it was, it was definitely like you're saying with an adjustment. Yeah. And all the stuff we talked about before leading up to that, you know, I talked about you go overseas three times, you go to UCC, you respond to that situation we're at Route 91. You probably don't think that, you know, close to your work. Right. And maybe you do. I don't know. And obviously you deal with situations every single day that could be dangerous. Yeah. You know, I think uh, you step back now. And I've always had the thought in my head of, you know, it's, it's a possibility it could happen, especially in the profession now. It's, you know, it could totally happen to anybody for no reason at all. But the way that one happened compared to others, I'm not downplaying anybody's that's ever been involved in one, but it definitely was different. Like, uh, it was, it was definitely a fight for your life. And if you had to win, so it was, yeah, like I didn't, I always thought that, yeah, maybe this will happen, but I didn't think it was going to happen like that and be that bad. And it just so happened. That's how it worked out, but it worked out. We were all okay. And then you got to move on from there. Right. Which took, took time went back to work definitely had to do a few things at work to get back in the normal flow and be comfortable and i can honestly say work-wise it's definitely changed me to a, a little certain degree but definitely for the better but yeah the first few times doing stuff you were like okay like we got to go do this like you, you still have a job to do like you definitely still got to get back like the whole get back on the horse thing and ride and like you had to do it and because people are counting on you. Yeah, it does because because the work's not going to stop, and you know, it, like you were saying, life goes on. Like it's going to continuously happen. There's nothing you can do about it. So yeah, it, it definitely took took a took a while to get used to, and there's still some things now like that I do, and I'm like, hmm, okay, so this could happen. You know, it, is it going to happen? Probably not, but it could happen. So I still have that thought in my head, which I think is good. It'll definitely make me safer and the people around me safer. Yeah. When you say that you, you think it changed you for the better in some ways, would that be what you're referring to? Or is there other ways? Uh, no, it, it, that changed, it changed me for the better, you know, as a friend and as a, a father and at, with my profession, you know, just overall, it definitely made me realize, like you were saying, how quickly it can end, like just that fast. And like you're saying mere inches. And it could have been just over, had no idea it had been done, but it just kind of was like, all right, like you could take a step back. And, you know, when the kids say, Hey, I want to go play basketball. I don't care what I'm doing now. I just drop it. I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go do this. You know, unless I'm just super slammed with something, but I always make it a point. I'm like, Hey, I can't right now. Let me finish this and then we'll do something. Yeah. That's a great lesson. Yeah. So, and I mean, I started since then the, my sons and I, every Sunday morning, uh, I take my day off from the gym. And we get up Sunday morning and we make breakfast. We do something like just the, just the three of us will make whatever they want. I'm like, what do you guys want to make today? And they're like, I want pancakes and eggs. And I'm like, all right, we'll just do that. And then they're like, I want this. And we'll just, that's what we do. We just sit around and hang out and try and go out to the, 
like my oldest play soccer or go try and ride skateboards or do whatever they want to do. We just do that for the day. It's amazing when you have something like that happen and I've never had anything close to that happen, but there's just different situations in life where we get reminded to slow down a little bit. And I've had a few things recently happen actually very recently. Uh, eh, that weren't super pleasant. I haven't really talked about yet, but it's one of those things that reminds you, like you're saying to look around a little bit and go, where am I prioritizing my time? Because I even had someone last night actually tell me that they were too busy to come over and do this. And I think there's a couple of other reasons too. And at first I was like, I was kind of upset about it. And then I tried to put myself in their shoes of like, maybe they just really don't want to do it. And I'm trying to like, right. You know, rationalize and think of all these different things in my head. But I'm like, no, you could make time if you want to make time. You just don't want to make time. And but I'm like, well, maybe they just, maybe it's just not their thing. But just remember there's, you can always make time. Right. Like I said, even if it's not right that second, but make, make the time. effort to, yeah. to make time. And if it means, you know, like Preston wanted to come out here earlier, my three-year-old, and he wanted to watch the podcast, which he couldn't do. Yeah. But I'm like, well, I'll just take him out for a minute or two. Yeah. Because normally I would have just said, you just need to stay in the house. You know, but he loves coming out here. He wants right. to be a part of it. It's like, okay, come out for a couple minutes, buddy, and go back inside. And then you got your little, you know dose of it and go back and maybe he'll come back out later but he probably will uh, i'm sure he's probably in there still <laughs> kicking wanting to come out but he did get to hang the the uh, recording in progress hanger on the door so that was a good that was a good out too yeah like, <laughs> hey, you want to hang it he's like yeah it totally worked <laughs> let me hang it on the outside all right so uh what else do you want to touch on as we get closer to the end of this thing we talked about uh you know what happened in august and it's been a few months since then and yeah uh definitely you know just life changes. I mean, I'm not going to get into great deal about that. And you, you know, my mm -hmm. friends, my family, everybody knows, and anybody to listen to this that knows me knows, but you know, uh, I'll hit back on the, we talk about, you just never know what's going on in other people's lives. And I mean, I would say for 12 years, everything was great for me and it has its ups and downs like it always does. But you know, in October I had a bomb dropped on me and it was, uh, difficult to deal with and I'm still dealing with it, but I definitely stepped back from it and was like, okay, you can either, uh, do one of two things. And this actually came from a coworker of mine up in the Roseburg area. Uh, he found out about it and he called me up and he's like, Hey man, I'm going to tell you something that my dad told me during this time. And he's like, you can do this one of two ways. One, you can sit back and you can feel sorry for yourself and pout and moan and become a victim. He goes, but in your job, you don't make good victims. He goes, or two, he goes, I'm not saying you have to man up about it and deal with it. He goes, but you have kids so you can step up and show them that you can learn from something like this and do the right thing no matter what. And they may not see it now, but later on they will. And I've had this conversation with my sons like, Hey, this is going on right now. And I need, you know, unfortunately I had to tell my 14 year old like, Hey, I'm going to need you to grow up a little bit faster than your friends I'm telling you still to be a kid, which is completely okay. And when you want to go do something, definitely go do it. But I'm going to need your help with some stuff because it's, you know, it's not, it's not like it used to be like, I'm going to need you to help with your brother when I go to work. And if something happens and he was like, yeah, I got this dad, I got you. And he and I went to lunch yeah, the first week of December or dinner first week of December. And he was like, we were sitting there and he's like, so he goes, I know you keep telling me that there's a lesson to be learned in this. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he goes, well, what is it? I was like, well, I want you to think about it this way, buddy. 
think about no matter how bad things are, you can always be nice to a person and always take care of them no matter what and be cordial with them and do the right thing. You'll be a better person for it, even if they don't see it right then and there. And I'm not saying that's not that's what's happening now. I'm just saying in general, they can see see it for what it is or later on they'll actually see what has taken place. And I think that just makes you a better person. And I totally took this this whole step in my life and to show my kids like, hey, even when things are bad, it's okay to be down. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry if you have to cry. Mm-hmm. But you can learn from it and you can still be a good person and you can still show the other person that you still care about them, which I genuinely do. And I would still absolutely do anything for that person. And you just, you can do it that way or you can be miserable and hate each other. So, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to, te- I'm using it as a learning lesson to my kids and it's a learning lesson for me. It's hard, I'm sure, to go that road when it's easier to go the other way. Yeah, animosity is, I mean, so much easier to be mad at somebody yeah. than it is to step back, respect the decision of the person, and genuinely just be like, okay, like we had 12 years together. Like I care about you and I still want what's best with you. And I absolutely do without a doubt. And I still care about her and I always will. So you can do it like you're saying, either pure animosity and hatred, which is always bad when you have kids involved, it's terrible. But, or you can do it the other way and get along and do what's right for the kids and they'll turn out better for it. Oh, help them go down a completely different path probably. And in the long run, someday they're going to look back on it and really appreciate that as opposed to the alternative, because there's people that, that, that choose to go about it a completely different way. And unfortunately, a lot of us have seen situations like this play out close to us over the years in different ways, whether it's parents or grandparents or friends. Right. And it's not easy for anyone. And it can be very difficult. I'll even say in my situation, when you're friends with the people. Yep. And it can be, people don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, they feel like they don't know what to say. Uh, you want to help everyone. You want everyone to be as friendly as possible, but you just don't like with my parents, it, it, it's still difficult. Oh yeah. You know, there's still things that I don't think I handled properly and I'm not the one that was in that situation, but just not knowing what to do and everyone has feelings, right? So you feel one way towards one person you think this person, maybe not in the right or the wrong, but just wish it would have been different and there's not really anything you can do about it. So it's just, it's hard. It's hard to know how to handle all those different situations. So, I mean, I really appreciate what you're saying as far as how to handle or how you're handling it, because I think it says a lot for other people as they're dealing with those situations, whether they're in the middle of them or on the outside looking in. Right. And like you're saying, I mean, it's, it's not just hard on our, us, like the four of us. I mean, it definitely has a ripple effect on everybody around. And what I have noticed is, the people that are closest to us, like you were saying, like you guys and everybody that's there, there hasn't been any animosity towards either person. And that's not how it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? There, there shouldn't be animosity. It totally should be, hey, you know, you're still our friend. You're still our part of our family. I mean, I consider you guys part of my family. I mean, you guys know that if something happened, I yeah, come help. Sure, I got it. I'm on my way. I'll do this or whatever it is. And it's just one of those things like, but I think when you drive a wedge between people and everybody, that's when it gets bad and it can get ugly and it get nasty and it's just not worth it. Like, like we were talking about everything could be taken such a short amount of time. Why live that way? Yeah. Why be that way? Especially when like you've talked about numerous times, it could be over so quickly. I mean, just months ago it could have been and and to know there's so many other things to live for. Oh, right. And that can be so much better 
you know, if you choose to, to make that decision to go about it the right way. No, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's difficult, it's hard and there's times it's super, super depressing, but you know, I just think back, I'm like, all right, you know, I still have kids, you know, I still have friends, family. And I, I mean, I still have her, I still care about her and we still have to do this together. So for as bad as it is, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to look at the brighter side of things because the ugly side of things is not where you want to go. And you just never know what's right around the corner. Right. And just in the past week with the situation that I'm referring to, which at some point I'll probably talk about a little bit, but, uh, you know, it was one of those things. It's not a major life-changing deal, but it's just something you don't expect. You kind of get kicked in the junk a little bit, you know? And it's like, huh, I want to be really upset about that. And I was telling my wife, and I was talking to Ashley about it, and said, you know, we just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I kind of want to be upset about this, but I, I kind of have this weird kind of like, huh, yeah. okay. Like, I, I'm not going to be able to change the situation. So why not just go with it and try and keep a positive attitude because the next opportunity could be right around the corner and you may not see that if you're moping around or, or not looking for it or whatever it is. Right. No. And I think that's a big part of it. If you're like, you're saying, if you're moping, your your head's down, you're not looking, you don't, you don't see what's, you can't see what's past your nose. And if you try, even if you're trying to put a positive twist on things, you're going to miss some things but you're going to pick up a lot more than if you're staring at the ground feeling bad. And generally speaking, at least I believe this way, everything happens for a reason. It's very hard to hear in the moment. I've talked about it before when I've gotten fired, these different places, you know, along my path where I've been down about something. Usually there's something coming. Oh yeah. And it might not be a week from now or two weeks from now, but at some point something happens and you're like, man, this wouldn't have even been possible if that wouldn't have happened. But it's like, you have to live through those struggles oh, yeah. in order to get to the good parts of it. And no, it's, sometimes yeah. it's hard to see though. Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah, it's definitely muddied water, but eventually it clears up, you know, it has to, because it can't, it's not gonna be that way forever. Yeah. Or about 70 minutes in. How do you feel? Uh, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, I so. appreciate you coming over, man. I really do. And, uh, I know I've told you this before at different times and points because I've been around for a little while now when a few of these different situations happen. Uh, of course, if you ever need anything, you know we're here for you. And and uh, it's been great hanging nope. out over the past couple of years. And I appreciate you making the time to come over and, and sit down and talk because as I learned last night, some people just aren't going to do it. <laughs> no, I, and I appreciate the invite. I'm sorry it took so long for us to happen, but... You know, computer took a dump last time, and we, we got it done, though. You know, it worked out just fine. So, again, I appreciate it, and uh, it's been good. So, thanks for coming over. You're welcome to hang out. Obviously, you got here early for dinner. so I did. Yeah, it was good dinner, too. Thanks, Gabriel. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, there you go, Brendan Cork. And uh, if you want to check out the podcast, it's available just about anywhere. iTunes, Google Podcasts, Android, Stitcher, Spotify. See, this is where I lose track. I've only had... A couple Sierra Nevadas tonight, so I shouldn't be losing track. But you can rate the podcast. You can share it with your friends, garagetalkpodcast.com. And uh, we'll be back in the garage soon. <laughs>